Part three, chapter fifteen of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Benyon and Malevsky. Part three, chapter fifteen. A rain lasting for three days, a rare phenomenon in Rome during the summer season, and hail falling, against the natural order of things, not only during the day and evening, but even at night, interrupted the spectacles. People were growing alarmed. The failure of the vintage was predicted. When, at noon on a certain day, a thunderbolt melted the bronze statue of Ceres on the capital, sacrifices were ordered in the temple of Jupiter Salvator. The priest of Ceres gave it out that the wrath of the gods had been brought upon the city because the Christians had not been sufficiently punished. People then began to demand that, irrespective of weather, the spectacles should take place. Joy arose in Rome that the games would begin again after an interval of three days. Meantime fair weather returned. The amphitheatre, from dawn till night, was filled with thousands of people. Caesar arrived early with the vestals and the court. The spectacle was to commence with a battle among the Christians, arrayed for the purpose as gladiators, and supplied with all the various weapons used by gladiators for offensive and defensive warfare. But here came disappointment. The Christians threw the nets, darts, javelins, and swords down upon the arena, and instead of fighting, they embraced and encouraged one another to persist in the face of torture and death. The hearts of the populace were stirred with anger and indignation. Some accused the Christians of cowardice and baseness of mind, others asserted that they refused to fight because of their hatred of the people, and in order to deprive them of the enjoyment of a display of courage. Finally, at Caesar's command, real gladiators were summoned, who made short work of the kneeling and defenseless Christians. When the bodies were removed, the spectacle was changed to a series of mythological representations conceived by Caesar himself. Hercules appeared, blazing in fire on Mount Eta. Vinicius had trembled at the thought that perhaps Ursus had been selected for the part of Hercules but evidently the turn of the faithful servant of Lygia had not yet come, since there perished at the stake some other Christian quite unknown to Vinicius. In the next picture, however, Chilo, whom Caesar would not excuse from attendance, saw a people whom he knew well. The death of Daedalus and that of Icarus were represented. The role of Daedalus was taken by Eurytius, the old man who had first explained to Chilo the symbol of the fish. The role of Icarus was sustained by his son, Quartus. Both were hoisted in the air by means of machinery, and then hurled from an immense height down upon the arena. Young Quartus fell so near the imperial box that his blood spattered not only the external ornaments, but even the purple-covered seat. Chilo did not witness the fall because he had closed his eyes. He heard only the dull thud of the body when after a time he caught sight of blood just near him he came near to fainting for the second time the pictures changed rapidly the hearts of the rabble were delighted by the shameful torments of virgins dishonored before death by gladiators in the guise of wild beasts priestesses of Sibylle and Ceres were to be seen, and the Deanids and Dirce and Pasiphae. Finally little girls were torn asunder by wild horses. The people applauded every new device of Nero, who, proud of his inventions and immensely pleased by the applause, did not take the emerald from his eye for an instant, while gazing upon white bodies torn with iron and the convulsive contortions of the victims. 
Pictures representing the history of the city were also given. After the maidens appeared Musius Scevola, whose hand, fastened to a tripod over a fire, filled the amphitheatre with the odour of burning flesh. Like the real Scevola, he stood there silent, without emitting a groan, his eyes raised upward and the murmurs of a prayer on his blackened lips. When death had ended his torments and his body had been removed, the usual noonday interlude took place. Caesar, with the Vestals and the Augustales, left the amphitheatre and betook himself to a scarlet tent, erected purposely for the occasion, in which a gorgeous banquet had been prepared for himself and his guests. The onlookers, for the greater part, followed his example, and pouring out of the building, scattered into picturesque groups, and disposed themselves about the tent to enjoy the food which through Caesar's favor was lavishly bestowed upon them. The more curious among the spectators stepped down into the arena itself, touching with their fingers the sand clotted with blood, discussed as connoisseurs the performances that had taken place and those that were to follow. Soon even these left the arena, lest they should miss the banquet. Only a few remained, and these not through curiosity, but out of compassion for the coming victims. These hid themselves in compartments, or beneath the lower seats. Meantime the arena was leveled and pits were dug in rows throughout the whole circuit, from one side to the other, so that the last row was but a few steps from the imperial box. From outside the circus came the voices of people, shouts and applause, while within everything was being prepared with feverish haste for new tortures. All at once the dungeons were opened, and through all the passages leading to the arena groups of Christians were driven, naked, with crosses on their shoulders. The great amphitheatre was filled with them. Old men, bent under the weight of wooden crosses, ran forward. Alongside of them were vigorous men in the prime of life, women with disheveled hair, under cover of which they strove to conceal their nakedness, small boys and little children. Most of the crosses as well as the victims were decorated with flowers. The servants of the amphitheatre scourged the unfortunates with whips, and forced them to place their crosses beside the pits prepared for them, and to stand themselves in rows beside the crosses. In this way were to perish all those who had not on the first day of the games been driven out as food for dogs and wild beasts. Black slaves seized the victims, and laying them upon the wood, nailed their hands rapidly to the arms of the crosses, so that after the intermission the people should find the crosses already erect. The noise of hammers reverberated through the whole amphitheatre, and, echoing among the higher tiers of seats, reached the place surrounding the amphitheatre, and even the tent where Caesar was entertaining his retinue and the vestals. There he quaffed goblet after goblet of wine, bantered Chilo, and whispered strange words into the ears of the priestesses of Vesta. But in the arena the work was being pushed, nails were being hammered into the hands and feet of the Christians, and spades moved quickly, filling with earth the pits in which the crosses had been planted. Among the victims awaiting their turn was Crispus. The lions had not had time to tear him to pieces, therefore he had been sentenced to die on the cross. Always ready for death, he rejoiced that his hour was near. Today he seemed like another man, for his withered body had been entirely stripped. Only an ivy wreath encircled his hips. On his head was a garland of roses, but in his eyes there shone ever that same unsubdued energy, that same stern and fanatical face looked from beneath the garland of roses. 
nor had his heart changed as before in the dungeon he had threatened with the wrath of god his brethren sewed up in hides so now instead of consoling them he thundered forth thank the saviour that he allows you to die the same death as himself perhaps some of your sins will be forgiven on this account but tremble for justice must be satisfied and there cannot be one reward for the wicked and the good he spoke to the accompaniment of hammers which drove the nails into the feet and hands of the victims the crosses multiplied in the arena he however turning to those who stood by their crosses spoke as follows i see heaven open before me but i see also the open abyss i do not know how i shall stand myself before the lord though i have believed and hated evil i fear not death but the resurrection not torture but the judgment for the day of wrath is approaching at that moment from among the nearest tiers of seats came a voice calm and solemn not the day of wrath but of mercy the day of salvation and joy because i tell you that christ will receive you will comfort you and will seat you on his right hand be of good faith for heaven is opening before you at these words all eyes were turned towards the benches even those already fastened to the crosses raised their pale anguished faces and looked in the direction of the speaker then the man who had spoken came to the partition surrounding the arena and blessed the victims with the sign of the cross crispus stretched out his hand as if to expostulate but when he saw the speaker's face he dropped his hand his knees bent under him and his lips whispered paul the apostle to the amazement of the servants of the circus all those who were not yet nailed to the crosses fell upon their knees paul of tarsus turned towards crispus and said crispus threaten them not for this day they will be with thee in paradise thou deemest that they will be damned but who will condemn them will god condemn them he who gave his son for them will christ who died to save them just as they die now for his sake how could he who loves them condemn them who will accuse the elect of god who will say that this blood is accursed master i have hated evil cried out the old priest christ laid more stress upon his command to love our fellow-men than to hate evil for he taught love not hatred i have sinned in the hour of my death cried crispus striking his breast the manager in charge of the benches now came up to the apostle and said to him who art thou that dares to speak to the condemned a roman citizen paul replied calmly then turning to crispus he said have confidence for to-day is a day of grace die in peace o servant of god two negroes approached crispus at this moment to place him on the cross but he looked around once more and exclaimed my brethren pray for me his face had lost its usual severity his features had assumed an aspect of sweetness and mildness he stretched his arms himself upon the cross so as to facilitate the work and looking straight upwards to the sky he began to pray fervently he seemed insensible to pain for when the nails entered his palms not the least tremor shook his body nor did the slightest contortion of pain appear upon his face he prayed while his legs were being fastened and continued to pray when they raised the cross and the earth was being beaten down about it only when the rabble began to fill the amphitheatre with shouts and laughter did the brows of the old man contract as if in anger that a pagan people were disturbing the peace of a sweet death by this time all the crosses had been raised so that the arena bore the appearance of a forest with people hanging on the trees 
on the arms of the crosses and on the heads of the martyrs the sunshine fell but on the arena was a thick shadow like a black tangled grating through which gleamed the yellow sand the whole pleasure of this spectacle consisted in the delight taken by the audience in watching a lingering death never before had there been such a large collection of crosses the arena was so packed that the servants moved about among them with difficulty on the crosses closest to the seats hung women but crispus as a leader was placed close to the imperial box on an enormous cross wreathed at the bottom with flowers none of the victims had as yet expired but a few who had been first crucified had fainted no one groaned or cried for mercy some were hanging with their heads leaning upon the shoulder or dropped upon the breast as if overcome by sleep some seemed in meditation some looking towards heaven moved their lips silently there was something ominous in that fearful array of crosses in those crucified beings and in the silence of the victims the people sated with the banquet and in a pleasant state of mind had returned to the circus with joyful shouts but now they grew silent not knowing upon which body to fix their eyes nor what to think of the performance the nudeness of the women seemed to excite no interest they even refrained from betting as to who should die first a thing usually done when smaller numbers of convicted appeared in the arena even caesar appeared to get little enjoyment from the spectacle for he turned his head in indolent and drowsy fashion to arrange his necklace suddenly crispus who was hanging opposite and who for a time had closed his eyes as a man fainting or dying opened them and gazed at caesar his face assumed such a terrible expression and his eyes blazed with such fire that the augustales began to whisper among themselves pointing him out with their fingers and at length caesar himself directed his attention towards him and slowly placed the emerald to his eye perfect stillness reigned the eyes of the spectators were fixed upon crispus who attempted to move his right arm as if to tear it from the cross after a while his breast rose his ribs stood out and he cried matricide woe to thee the augustales hearing this mortal insult flung publicly into the very face of the lord of the world scarce dared to breathe chilo came near fainting caesar shuddered and let his emerald fall the people too held their breath then the voice of crispus reverberated again with greater power through the entire amphitheatre woe to thee murderer of wife and brother woe to thee antichrist the abyss is opening under thee death is stretching its arms to embrace thee the grave is yawning for thee woe to thee living corpse in terror thou shalt die and thou shalt be damned for ever unable to wrench away his hand nailed to the cross he strained himself in a frightful fashion he resembled a death's head inexorable as destiny he shook his white beard at nero's box and with every motion of his head the roses fell from the garland which decorated it woe to thee murderer thy doom is sealed and thy hour has come thus speaking he made a supreme effort for a moment it seemed he would wrench his hand from the cross and extend it in menace over caesar but suddenly his emaciated arms extended still more his body slipped downwards his head drooped upon his breast and he gave up the ghost among the forest of crosses weaker victims began also to drop into that sleep that knows no waking End of part three. 
chapter 15